good. Any questions tonight? Small group. Yes. speaking with one a good brother and uh, he mentioned this typical example of Mahaprabhu accepting sannyasas and preaching strategies that say for being able to to speak to the intellectual Brahminical class at the time. And in that context being him and a scholar as well, he mentioned that he considered that nowadays like the Danda of our time was like the PhD. As, as the means for higher symbolism regarding such audience specific audience. Yeah? So well, basically I, I would like to to know your opinion about such conception and, and in such a case which it really the land of our time. So for clarification, uh, the sannyasi, the renunciate, the Um, Tiagi uh, in, in the uh, tradition of Vedanta of which there are different schools they carry a, a staff I have a, such a staff don't carry it all the time but um, and the word danda means punishment so it's for punishing people no it's for <laughs> <laughs> the idea is we, 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 we carry what's called a tree danda so it it, it uh, it's uh, meant. To, the idea is that one who carries it punishes his mind, body, and words. Punish may not be the best word, but that is the word. So, such that they only are used for thinking about Krishna, for speaking about Krishna, uh, for engaging in Krishna service, rather than our body, mind, and words um, taking us to an, an outer conception of self, taking us to an inner. Uh, conception of self and its prospect uh, to love. In other words, the outer conception of the self is one that derives from our body, mind, and words, if you will. A body means really all the senses, working senses, active senses, our legs and our hands, for example, and our knowledge-acquiring senses like hearing, uh, tasting, smelling, seeing, and so forth. These uh, are the kind of openings and the mechanisms through which we contact sense objects, objects of sight, sound, touch, and so forth. And so they relay messages relative to the set of senses that we have that our mind makes a determination about, which is basically, I like this, I don't like that, this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad. And so this reading uh, of the world uh, results in a sense of self because our self is, is basically defined by what we like and what we don't like. This is Bob. He, he likes this. He doesn't like that. It differentiates him from Mary um, and so forth. So uh, this is a bodily or body-mind uh, external 
the material um, sense of self, if you will. And obviously, at some level, it is at odds with every other self out there. Uh, we can agree, both agree that's good. <laughs> we can both agree that's bad. We can both agree this is happy, sad. But one might think at the same time it might be cold, others think it's hot, and so on and so forth. So to come completely together, um, that would be would be difficult, even for uh, Siamese twins. So, uh, <laughs> so we have to get different readings, if you will, and then the readings determine our likes and dislikes and our sense of self, and and we're at odds with one another to one extent or or another, and and the reading is false because it is it's neither hot or cold or happy or sad. Those are certain perceptions, but the question is: Is there a higher or more profound or universal nature of being that transcends what you think it is or what I think it is based on sense perception and the mind's um, determinations of this sankalpa vikalpa. I like this, I don't like that. And so spiritual practice at its heart is about arresting the senses, whether that mean the body, the mind, words, as uh, 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 in this case, body, mind, words, um, such that rather than identifying with sense objects and then subjecting oneself to the determination of good or bad, in bhakti, we have a different criterion. What is good? What is bad? And a different sense of self arises from it. The different criterion is, if it's good for bhakti, then it's good. If it's bad for bhakti, then it's not good. So, for example, it might be not good to get up early in the morning. Hmm? But it might be, according to our mind and our body, the body-mind complex, but it might be good to get up early in the morning for bhakti and attend the service, something like that. Hmm? And so... um, uh, when we make a new criterion as to what is good or bad, that's not de- that, that defies the reading that we can gather through the senses and mind, then arguably we separate ourselves from or rise above and transcend that particular reading. Hmm? Um, I mean, it's being done in a systematic way and, and with a view to, to pursue the idea, the theory that there is a self within that's different from the mind and the body and it can be realized not by going out, if you will, to arrest and capture the experience of the world through the limited medium of the senses and the mind, but to t- focus them in a way that, that, that has an opposite effect, if you will. This is the basic idea of yoga and spiritual practice. And so... In, the, in bhakti, then a different sense of self um, arises, the atma, uh, and it, it arises, and with a, a prospect and tendency to love our spiritual source, if you will, good name for which is Krishna, um, uh, and, um, and realize a, a loving identity that's not in conflict than uh, with, with others. Of course, you can be in conflict with others who want to have a material 
identity and keep you within the fold of, of that because misery loves company but um, uh, but uh, but actually you are the, you're becoming by such the idea is the friend of everyone hmm? and by example showing another another way to read the world that that is that is at least at least more fulfilling hmm? it gives rise to transcending these differences loving all of humanity and existence and universal compassion is at the ground of this new uh, person. Hmm? So when uh, someone in the practice of Vedanta, and there are different schools of that, we're in a particular school, reaches a certain stage and the teacher may confer upon that student the renounced order. Uh, so a monastic life and a t- and with a with a uh, license to teach, so it, the the conferring of the sannyas or the renounced order is is um, a way of uh, saying and identifying a student as uh, having um, been proficient enough in the practice to practically and theoretically to begin to teach it and share it. And so he or she has a, then a, an extra burden with the other, other, every other sadhaka or practitioner. Hmm? And that is meant to help drive him or her that much more and carries a stick, this dunda staff, to remember that, to keep that in mind, and so on and so forth. So it's... Uh, it's uh, um, a uh, a uh, interesting um, order of of uh, of life, uh, fully uh, dedicated to the pursuit of spirituality and teaching it. So, the question is, as I understand it, that a a devotee associate a person I know um, has said. That who who went to school and got a degree, a doctorate, a PhD in religion, religious studies, said that the for the time in which we live, the dunda is the PhD title, hmm. um, because he reasoned that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his time accepted the renounced order and carried the dunda in order to preach to educated people, hmm, to get their attention. Hmm. And today, if you want to get their attention, it's not a good idea to carry a stick around. Uh, but if you get a PhD, then immediately you can, you can uh, get their uh, attention. Um, as an aside, not too far aside, um, in my recent publication... Uh, sacred preface um, I sent to several people uh, asking them to read who had degrees to see if they would be inspired to endorse it hmm, for the sake of uh, marketing and um, I got quite a few uh, endorsements only one person turned me down and is the person that you refer to and he said that that um, I would love to endorse your book, or he hadn't read it, but he knows who I am. He said, "But 
I can't endorse your book because academically I am situated such that I can only endorse certain books, I can't endorse other books, and um, so I'm restricted in this way. And then he went on to say that he was independent of the um, institution that, that he and I both were, a uh, spiritual institution we were raised in. It was founded by our Guru Maharaj, but I'm not a member of, haven't been a member of for 30 years, and some of you know the reasons for that. Nothing, of course, against my divine master. Um, but um, this fellow has been affiliated with it for all these years, but in his note to me, he said, actually, I'm completely independent of that organization. Um, and then he went on to say something that indicated that, that he was concerned about what they would think <laughs> if he had endorsed my book, which to me, that he was not that independent of the organization and that, that his PhD status, if you will, was also not uh, giving him the freedom that a sannyasi must have to say the truth in any circumstance and um, uh, that's kind of more at the heart of what it's about, even if it's unpopular, even if it will make him or her unpopular. Hmm? So I replied to him, I said, because I knew he had made this comment about the PhD, I'd heard this some years ago, I said, it sounds like the new PhD is not as independent hmm, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was in his time. Hmm? Uh, and and this is, of course, as I say, central. As I say, central to the order that one cannot be purchased, uh, cannot be compromised by circumstances and, and, and so forth. Um, uh, it's uh, it's essential to have the objectivity and the, de- and the detachment that gives rise to objectivity. If we're too close to a thing, to attach to it, well, we, we can't see it for what it is, and we're, we're bought by it, purchased by it to one extent or another. If we step back from it, we're detached, we can see for what it is. And, and um, so yoga, or spiritual practices, I'm explaining it, is quite objective even though it's thought in objective circles, for example, of academia and, uh, and, and, and science to be this subjective faith type, throw objectivity out the window. But it actually calls upon, when properly understood, to be very objective um, in, in, uh, in, in a more comprehensive way. After all, again, it calls upon us to detach from a certain perspective that's arising from the mind and the senses based on the theory that you're something different than the body-mind complex. And the challenge is to experience that, to validate that by a methodology of yoga that, that again, causes you, forces you, or mandates that you step back from the very attachments that arise from identifying with sense objects as we do. I'm attached, I think it's this way, I think it's that way, this is good, this is bad. Uh, um, and so on and so forth. Um, our whole point is that can't give you a clear reading. It may give you clear, a certain kind of reading within the relative world, but what the relative world is about, you're, you're involved in it. You're um, um, too close to it to see it 
for what it is. So this is a very radical kind of objectivity that uh, spiritual practice uh, calls for. And it should be particularly um, manifest and expressed in that renounced order who carries that, uh, one who carries that, uh, that dunda. So I replied to him in that way. Um, and um, obviously I disagree with the point um, although there is some merit to the point in that it's true that if you have a degree, hmm, um, people will listen to you. But it's not... Um, um, entirely the case. Bob Dylan was recently um, conferred a, a, a Nobel Prize, I think, for literature for poetry, literature, okay. It was, uh, and uh, he didn't have a degree in poetry, but uh, uh, he, he uh, is, uh, uh, was able to, by the strength of his poetic um, abilities and, um, you know, in his time to speak, be, as it was said, the voice of a of a generation which was a very powerful and influential generation in the world and so on and so forth and and so an honorary degree so it's also possible to get an honorary um, degree if you will um, and uh, um, my guru Marsh was a sannyasi he didn't have a degree I have no higher education um, outside of high school myself um, uh, Prabhupada was, uh, I don't know if he was a college graduate or the equivalent of it in India, but he certainly didn't have, he wasn't a lettered person in, in, a, uh, in higher education and so forth, but his books were endorsed by scholars during his time uh, throughout the United States and uh, perhaps in some places in Europe as well. Um, so, I don't think that simply having a degree um, number one is the, is the last word and the essential tool in order to get um, an audience to be heard. And I think that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted the sannyas order as a tool, hmm? true, um, and because in the in the time, obviously. Uh, in, in, in the time in India, everyone would, uh, every every man would dress in white. Hmm? Remember when I first went to Calcutta in 1972 or three, whenever it was, it was just a sea of white in in, in the public. Hmm? Men wearing uh, the traditional khadi, you know, for the Gandhian um, uh, sensibilities of the revolution in India was, you know, still a, a relatively new new country, but uh, thirty years old, um, and uh, and so to see someone that's changed now by um, Western influence and so forth, but to see someone in a in a, in, a, in a red cloth or the saffron cloth would stand out like like anything. So. Um, there's something to be said for yes, they, they, the renunciates would wear that, and there was be like a uniform, a, a person, a man of the cloth, as they would say. Um, but I mean, it's there in all traditions. So the, when we were kids, when I was a kid, I we went to a Catholic school. 
Jesuits and they wore their black uh, robes and their their collar and so they had their their uniform and uh, you have the Buddhists uh, their uniforms and and so forth so um, I think that kind of tradition of monasticism is still alive in different traditions and uh, the dress does uh, cause them to uh, to stand out it's the same thing as the staff the same the same idea um, and be turned to uh, if you want to um, have dialogue with someone who is of a religious, uh, serious religious, uh, seriously about a religious bent of, of mind and and is uh, uh, um, demonstrating that by the by the dress and being available, which, which seems to be you know pretty much the the idea for the for. for the persons uh, to take advantage of it's 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 a you know to it's an attempt to uh, kind of do away with vanity just wear one dress that's it mm-hmm. shaving of the head a similar uh, idea and so forth there's a lot that, that, that goes goes into it that's that's good for the practitioner also so the, the PhD may be a PhD at work and it's, but he can go anywhere else and not be a PhD and but the sannyasi in a, in a proper attire can't do that. He has to act appropriately everywhere, unless he's under some some kind of undercover mission, I suppose. But uh, and that has happened at times. But uh, um, typically, his is more of a public um, life. His private life, his inner life, has now become non-different from his or her public life, and. Um, so I, I don't think it uh, it's a, it's such a good I, good uh, point, um, um, and and I've seen I'm not against education, and I know a number of devotees have gotten higher educations and then written and do do write about the tradition and so forth. But I always feel when I read some of those um, authors. That they're in, they're in check. They're in some type of a check. They have a leash on them, is what I want to say. They have a leash on them. Um, that if they let, that that they need to remain in the club of academia, and there are certain standards, and you can't put as much feeling, for example, and you have to be this. Uh, Outside the jar of honey and talking about it, mm-hmm. and if you dip in and taste it and faint and and become intoxicated and so forth, then you're you're no longer in the community there, um, and and they won't listen to you. But but being intoxicated may be more may make you more noticeable. Uh, you know, I'm talking in a positive sense. Um, um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was like that. He would swoon and pass out upon chanting the name of Krishna and seeing the deity of Krishna. And, and this really attracted the people. His emotionalism, hmm? the Veda, indeed, the, the Vedanta side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was eclipsed. Vedanta means like the science, okay? Like, you're not this body, the mind, the sense object, like I was speaking earlier, deconstructing the whole thing. Hmm? That's one thing. Um, but then there's the there's the, there's then the emotionalism 
arising out of the inner life. Hmm? And his emotionalism really eclipsed the Vedanta side hmm? so much that he didn't write anything, which is typical of an acharya or a teacher, by example, in a school of Vedanta to write something. He didn't write a commentary on on the principal texts like the Upanishads and so forth. But his emotionalism captured uh, all types of people, educated people and uneducated people in the subcontinent of India, wherever he went. And that was, really, he came to Benares, this is the, the best example, which was a city of sannyasins. Hmm? And he sang and danced in the public emotionally. And I thought, what kind of, this guy's like worldly. Hmm? Because we don't sing, we don't dance, we we study Vedanta. Hmm? But his singing and dancing was rising out of a foundation of Vedanta, that uh, a particular foundation that gave rise to such internal emotionalism that overflowed hmm, externally and couldn't be checked. Tears pouring from his eyes like a syringe and, uh, and, and, and bathing people in his company when he chanted. So this is very powerful. Hmm? Uh, so his emotionalism really is uh, the by far the overriding factor in his capacity to uh, convert. Um, let us read for a moment. Where is that? we have a copy of Sacred Preface here? No. No, we don't. Okay. There was a nice statement made that I cited there by a... a uh, I think he's a, was a, he's a maybe a Presbyterian or Lutheran uh, theologian who um, expressed that there was no person in the figure in the religious history of the world that he was acquainted with that more represented through his spiritual emotionalism the what did he say the the, the, love, of God. the love of God that Christ mm-hmm. spoke about. Hmm? He personified it in day and night, and 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 he spoke a little bit what the effect was on the on the community and so forth. So, um, so the point there, of course, is that actual spiritual um, progress and advancement is really the power, where the power for conversion, dissemination. Um, uh, derives from. Hmm? Um, one can get an academic understanding of the teaching. One time I was with Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj and another fellow was speaking who was uh, more academic. He was actually in another school of Vedanta that tends to be more academic and, and not emotional at all. Uh, they don't They don't have any experience of um, what we call bhava, mm, spiritual emotion in relation to Krishna. They have a different tradition. So at any rate, he was speaking and, 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 and Puri Goswami Maharaj said, oh, he knows the teaching, our teaching better than us. Hmm? Academically, there were points that he knew that were, uh, that another devotee might not, might not know, but Puri Maharaj was a better devotee, if you will, a more advanced, spiritually advanced soul and experiential and so forth. And he could comment like that humorously. He was kind of laughing to himself. Huh. Theoretically, he knows the teaching better than us. I think Purimarj knew it pretty well, but 
he was commenting on his his person's ability because he wasn't he was talking about our tradition he was not even a participant in it he was in a different school and so he knew the teaching but he was not an experiencer of the teaching and to be an experiencer of the teaching has more um, currency in the marketplace by far that is really the power by which it is um, uh, successfully disseminated. Therefore, it's said in Chaitanya Charitamrita by Balabhacharya, actually, Krishna Vine, what is it? Vine Nahi, Tara Pravartam. Krishna Vine, Krishna Shakti Vine Nahi, Tara Pravartam. If you, without Vine Nahi, without the Shakti, the power, means emotional life of Bhakti, one cannot really propagate this teaching uh, successfully. So that is, uh, you know, the degree in the school of the name of Krishna, of the chanting of the name of Krishna. That's the degree we want. And you could get an academic degree um, without that. And you could be heard and get attention of others that you might not otherwise get. But you might be restricted in what you could say, and 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 it does not necessarily mean that you have the the real uh, certificate, if you will, to teach, hmm? which is realization. You can only give what you what you what you have, hmm? and so we and we want to affect hearts and not just titillate intellects with interesting thoughts. That's an interesting thought. Uh, what else do you want to do? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting thought. Very good. And what would you like to do tonight? You know, the sannyasi doesn't have that option. I do the same thing tonight, and I do it in the morning, and, and I'm inviting you to join with me and participate in that, or to consider it seriously, to uh, consider changing your life rather than just entertaining you intellectually. Hmm? Um, shraddha, faith, is not the same as the fence-sitting, if you will, um, form of, of reason. Reason does not have the same power to apprehend, hmm, or and to, I mean to grasp, as faith does. Faith, properly understood, implying action because the animating principle in our lives is what we believe in. If I believe that if I pay this money through this button on the card in the internet, I'm going to get the product, I'm going to do it. If I have some doubt about it, I don't know if that's a good company. Check the reviews on Amazon. How well did they deliver? So (laughs) our faith animates us. So the Gita says a person is their faith. Hmm? It, uh, it much as what a person does is who they are. Mm-hmm. And faith is animating that. This is just in a, in a very broad, generic, obviously, sense of the term. Mm-hmm. And so, point being that faith is animating, it's a call to action, whereas reason, you can sit on the fence and you can think, is the grass greener on that side or is the grass greener on that side? It looks greener, on that side, but then there may be some photosynthesis, or you may analyze it, and doesn't necessarily mean that there is sufficient uh, 
um, nitrogen in, 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 and over here. So we can analyze it like this either side and you can sit on the fence forever. Hmm? And somebody just says, I'm, I'm just going to jump in and, and, and try it. I can always go to the other side of the fence. I mean, for cows who eat grass. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so there's a point where obviously faith mandates action and action um, affords experience that reason alone cannot. And then to reason about the experience, this is the most, uh, uh, I want to say, um, beautiful exercise of reason. When, when reason ornaments, ornaments, decorates one's faith by reasoning about it and trying to articulate it and explain it, faith here meaning experience, hmm? But reason unto itself doesn't afford experience. We have to, at some point, in, in any field, take take a leap. And that's not to say that there are not devotees who have degrees and are more educated um, and and are also devotees and have experience and, and so on and so forth. But um, um, there is a possibility for a, for a disconnect there and just have a degree and not really sufficient experience and so on and so forth. So that's how I have come to think about his uh, statement, and I told him as much uh, um, in my reply. I simply replied to him, I said, hmm, the new PhD, the Dunda, doesn't afford one as much independence as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. That's how I replied. I was a little put off, actually, by his response. And then he wrote back, and, and, and he tried to say, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also was restricted to some extent, as a sannyasi, because he couldn't go, you know, certain places as a sannyasi, and uh, uh, I didn't bother to reply, um, which I thought was louder, you know, than, than any type of reply. I could have replied that through the person of Nityananda, who was the other self of Chaitanya in the Leela, he went to those places. In other words, as a sannyasi, he was, uh, stood out in the public, and if a sannyasi was seen in a brothel, uh, you might wonder, like, what's the guy doing there? That's not, he's not supposed to be there. But he wanted to go to the brothels, too, and, and, and deliver people from, from those, um, that, that uh, sector of the society. And so through Nityananda Prabhu, he went there. He didn't allow him to dress like a sannyasin. Hmm? Ordered him to marry, and then he could mix with married people in all circumstances and and in this way he extended himself um, so he was not restricted in as much as his other self in another form he he covered that base as well hmm. does that help yeah yeah that's a good 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 point important uh, important point <clears throat> what else Yes. Um, this is my, this is a vast subject, I'm sure, but uh, kind of reflecting on the conversation you and I had the other day, as the uh, the Maya Shakti as a potential energy, and is um, an energy that has potential. Yeah. Yeah. Or and and yeah, energy that has potential that it's. 
that could be seen as being constituted of potentialities. Potentialities, a unit of potentiality, or if you broke it down, you know, particles of potentiality. That could be actualized by the influence of the observer. It, which, in this case, would be Jiva Shakti. Right. So The Atman. The Atman. And, and so in that context, uh, we were talking about kind of uh, empirical observation and how that shapes our understanding of, uh, of the Maya Shakti. And so... Uh, can it be looked at that? Well, well, maybe I'll leave it at this. Can you elaborate on that relationship between Maya Shakti and Jiva Shakti in the context of uh, Maya Shakti being potentiality, and then kind of in a shastric, uh, you know, reference? Um, well. Um In the Gita, it is said, uh, Krishna describes both the Jiva Shakti and the Maya Shakti. In the seventh chapter, he says, In a, in a um, sutra like, sutra means like a thread. Um, so if I take a thread of a cloth and give it to you and say, This is what the cloth is, you extrapolate from there. Um, it's a very uh, uh, concise way of saying something in the fewest possible words. So in a very concise way, he describes the physical, or he, 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 yeah, he, just, he describes the physical and the psychic matter. So you know, in the Vedanta worldview, there is... Something there is something called a mind, hmm? and there is the, there is the physical. So there is physical and mental. Both are part. They're different different categories of matter. Hmm? Um, typically in modern science today, the dominant theme has been for some time that that, that physical is the, is the reality, hmm? and the quantitative. Everything's quantitative, and it's, so it's a problem to explain the qualitative experiences that we have. They all appear in the mind, the mental, emotional life. Um, there's different ways that they try to. Those are not the primary qualities of reality. The primary qualities of reality are all these quantitative measurements, right? Um, so. The qualitative experiences don't really fit in. They, they try to kind of fit them in. That's the whole mind-body, you know, problem, um, if you will. So um, in Vedanta, we don't have the same problem because we we accept that there is a psychic um, category of matter. So then you you have matter that that's part of reality, in other words. The, the qualitative experiences are part of reality. It's built into matter. Hmm? Um, and there are a number of people in the, in the scientific community that are just having such a hard time trying to fit the qualitative experiences into the physical that they're uh, 
expressed willingness and openness and, 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 and theories even as to uh, the idea that there there is this, there is psychic matter and uh, and it, 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 it's a it's a, I would call it a burgeoning field. Hmm? Um, um, and so we are there from 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 you know thousands of years ago on that. And now what it is, mind stuff and so forth. Well, the psychic matter is is, is divided into further subcategories, uh, and and so these basic categories, ankara itiyami bina prakritarashtita, bhumiyarapanulobhay kamana buddhireva buddhir. Evacha ahankara, buddhi ahankar. Um, he really given a sutra form because uh, 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 buddhi. He goes. He says, mind, intellect, ego. He doesn't mention chitta because chitta is part of the of the the. Um, What's it called? Maha. What's the whole thing called? Um, Mahatattva. Mahatattva. Mahatattva is in in a microcosmic um, manifestation is the chitta, the organ of perceiving in everyone. It's like Consciousness. So sometimes it's translated consciousness, but it's the, only the instrument of perception that reflects images from the world, and um, it takes on impressions from the world. Anyway, so he, in a sutra way, he describes this matter. Now, this is a different description of matter than we have today, um, and it's rooted in the Sankhya philosophy. And um, it, it, um, it. There are some people in the modern community exploring its implications and its way of describing the world. It's more of a describing matter as information and potentialities and so forth, rather than for the longest time um, in in the modern scientific community, it was thought. That matter is this hard little atomic particles, right? Um, and that's what the whole of matter is made up of. Now, of course, they think that the, the vast majority of matter is dark matter or dark energy. It's not made up of these atoms. So it's like, whoa, the whole thing is. Um, a, a particular idea of what matter was has been, been turned on its head. Hmm? And so uh, it really is, as much as people might think, the task of science today is to define consciousness, to fit consciousness, because the task of science is to, is to describe, the, describe everything, the theory of everything, right? Mm-hmm. And consciousness seems to be part of it, so you need to fit it in here somehow. Mm-hmm. But we say, hold on a minute, let's first describe matter, is consciousness part of it? Well, if it's part of it, what part? But what? It, what is matter? Hmm? It's up. For, it's really up for grabs. Noam Chomsky made this argument more in, in, in recent times that, with regard to 
I think maybe the brain brain mind you know issue. You want to reduce reduce mind to brain, but brain being physical matter, but we don't even know what it is yet. What physical matter is? Yeah. So, and in, in this um, unknowingness and the elusiveness of matter to come under definition, to be arrested in the intellect uh, of, 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 of human society, to be grasped and so forth, which is the, which is the effort of modern science. It's elusive nature. and it's, I mean, they thought they had it nailed, you know, centuries ago, hmm? only to have the, the quantum, you know, perspective um, come into play and turn the whole thing upside down and they're still in denial of like the implications of the quantum world have a very profound effect on the um, classical physical uh, understanding of the world that starts to make the classical understanding not make sense uh, and so they can't quite f- they can't figure it out but but the quantum perspective Two-thirds of the United of the of the world economy is derived from looking at matter from a quantum perspective, and then putting it data in the hands of technologists, tech, technologists, technology, technicians. Okay, yeah, sorry. And then they do things that work for us, and and so on and so forth. So it it's hard to deny it, but the overriding philosophical implications and this is like it starts people people in a community scientific community start to feel uncomfortable perhaps with some of that and there are good people in the community that are pointing it out like you guys are in denial here you've got to change the way you think of course the whole idea of changing um, from a um, particular scientific paradigm and the difficulty involved in that and how science becomes compromised as a result of that attachment hmm, was brought up by Thomas Kuhn years ago. Um, it was in his, in his uh, um, seminal work. Uh, that it basically very systematically sheds light on the lack of objectivity in the community, um, for, which is inevitable and... Uh, and so then the question as to whether we can ever arrive at a, a, an accurate uh, perception of matter in its pristine form or where we're, ever, where we're forever, it's forever beyond our grasp hmm, to capture it. This is, these, there's plenty of good arguments to that effect. And it seems to sh- be showing itself in, in, in a new way. And um, I mean, the world worked also pragmatically when people had a geocentric perspective in Europe. It worked fine. People went to sleep, people got up, people ate, <laughs> fed themselves, everything worked. They made it, they had babies, and uh, life went on, and so forth. So there's different ways you can look at it and get a pragmatic result, and you can argue the pragmatic result here is better than there, and, uh, but maybe not. And, uh, and so all of this um, in my mind very much kind of confirms 
the overarching description of matter, which is it's elusive. Maya, shakti. Shakti means like the power, and maya means it means the power to delude in one sense. The word maya in Sanskrit also means to measure. And so it's thought that it's an illusion to think that you can measure, and by measure I mean capture. If I can measure it, I'm bigger than it, it's under my control. That you can bring it all under your control. That's an illusion. And that's what we try to do <laughs> in the modern scientific community, to bring it under our control. We, we, we need to control the situation. Because it's, uh, it's out of control. It's not in our control. And the Vedic message is, you're not in control. <laughs> and there, you might be more peaceful accepting that you're not in control and finding out who is and connecting with that source and then finding it's okay not to be in control because somebody is or something is and and it's and I'm trying to be and that's the whole problem hmm? so I'm uh, and everybody's trying to be the controller so that is a, obviously a problem <laughs> so um so anyway the gita says and he describes the um, elemental constituents of physical and psychic matter from the Sankhya point of view. Hmm? Um, it sounds similar to the antiquated Greek idea of the elements, earth, water, fire, air. But if you look underneath, it's a very different uh, idea of matter that has... Um, uh, uh, virtue and, and power in modern times to assist us, I believe, in explaining better than it has been the nature of of matter and matter's information and involving other dimensions and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it is a, it is a multiverse. Um, Conception and and uh, um, that's an interesting scientific idea that there there are other universes. You know where they are. They're right here, and there's one over here, and there's one over here. And if you take a fish in the water with eyes on either side of the head, it's living in a two-dimensional reality. If you were to go to grab that fish and bring it up above the water. Holy cow. What's going on here? There are other fish, but they move like they do they they're in, they move up and down too and and uh it's another universe in other words. Mm. You can see that there are many ponds and then there's life beyond the pond. You know, what was it Edward Arnold Flatland. Uh, he, he was a very nice uh, little book they've done it on the internet now graphically. Flatland. We watched it here one night. Uh, it was good. The, the, the living in two dimensions and then uh, having experience of the third dimension, trying to tell the two-dimensional people about it. Uh, so um, <laughs> it was a problem. So um, so in that verse, anyway, in a, in, a, in, a, in a very concise way, Krishna describes matter. And then the next verse he says, um, what is it? Um, Mm-hmm. 
the jagat, the world that I've just described, basically constituted of physical and psychic matter, hmm, is being animated, daryate, by another shakti, we call the jiva. And jiva means means life. So here, life is not biological. There's an aspect of what we call life, biological, but or psychological. There's a there's the jiva. It's a living force that transcends the biology because obviously biology means the biological organism has a beginning and an end. Hmm? But life is not something from the Vedic perspective that has a beginning and an end. Um, and, and, and the living thing comes out of a non-living thing. An experiential reality comes out of non-experience. No. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a more complex reality and there's a less complex reality and the more complex reality doesn't come out of the less complex reality. Um, and so there's a living force, the jiva. It's, it's consciousness. It's not a question of do you believe in a soul Nobody asks, do you believe in consciousness? We have it. We'd say more, we are it. Hmm? It is like a light that is luminous and has the capacity to, to illuminate other things. So what we often describe as perception, uh, or when we often, I should say, equate consciousness with perception, we're only just talking about an aspect of consciousness, that is to illumine other things. Hmm? shed light on things. But it itself is, is luminous. It's a unit of luminosity. Luminosity, you know, it's just a word to use to say it's, it's, there's no darkness there. There's no ignorance there. Hmm? So, but here the jiva is talked about as being um, a small and as it's like a spark of the fire. Hmm? And despite the fact that the smoke if you will, in, 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 to use that analogy, of, of the Maya Shakti can obscure it hmm, from its connection with the, with, the, with the fire. Still, the spark has some light and it's, it's, it's driving the world. Hmm? So, the, the, it's a unit of will. Hmm? So, when it expresses will, then the, to speak in a kind of a quantum way, the potentialities of the Maya Shakti are activated in conjunction with the will. The world is like a questions, questions, questions. Hmm? And the will of the jiva, on some level, responds, and then there's an actualization. So it's matter is information. So those are two verses in the seventh chapter of the Gita that speak about um, the idea that the jiva shakti is kind of driving the maya shakti. Indeed, the idea in Vedanta is that the maya shakti or matter exists for the purpose of consciousness to uh, realize itself. Hmm? Actually, it has a very positive um, spiritual um, purpose. It provides uh, tools hmm, for consciousness and it... um, a negative impetus if we use them wrong, <laughs> wrongly uh, to uh, uh, to go in the direction of a of a happier life. To use our mind, which is a tool, and the senses in a different way. Hmm? Like I was saying, we use the mind and the senses as tools to to uh, to look within, to go within, to explore the inner landscape. 
So, there you go. Does that help? Yeah. 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 All right, what is the time? Well, you're doing pretty good here. We've gone beyond time. Okay, so it's time for us to stop then. Sriman Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Nityananda Abhudut ki jai, Guri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhaktabindu ki jai, Od Premanandi.